sit two stories above the street. It's awful quiet here since love fell asleep. There's life down below me though. The kids are walking home from school. Some long ago when we were taught that for whatever kind of puzzle you got, you just stick the right formula. Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. Bill, I have a question for you today. All right. Why are so many smart people such idiots about philosophy? Uh, the short answer is because they spend no time learning it. Thank you. That's it. <laughs> Thank you for New Persuasive Words. Catch us next week. We're brought to you by Alcoa. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, this is actually a question by Olivia Goldhill, and it was in Quartz. Oh, it's funny. I've actually read something else from Quartz once, which I thought was good. I forget what it was, but it was something medically related. You know, we have to start getting some money when we promote these things. Yeah. It's, it's, it's some, I remember reading it. It's a pretty interesting I, too, am a fossil fuel voter. <laughs> I hate that stuff. I like that. All right, anyway. You know, it's funny, the, the Koch brothers, like... Have these energy. If if you have to tell me your company's good for society, I just think it's not. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think you're right. We do so many great things. Look at it's it's just sort of it's weird. We at Shell are not nearly polluting the third world like we used to. Exactly. So this is by an Olivia Goldhill who says that there's no doubt Bill Nye is extremely intelligent, but when it comes to philosophy, he's completely in the dark. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so somebody basically sent him a YouTube video and asked about, should he study philosophy? Like, is it a worthwhile thing for an undergrad to do? And his response was less than reflective. And Olivia Goldhill points out that the video made the entire U.S. philosophy community collectively choke on its morning espresso. <laughs> it's hard to watch because most of thy statements are wrong. Not just kind of wrong, but deeply ludicrously wrong. <laughs> he <laughs> merges I, together I... questions of consciousness <laughs> and reality, and so they're one and the same topic, and completely misdrews Descartes' argument, I think, therefore I am. Which, I, to mention just too many examples. I did think what he did with Descartes was like particularly brutal. Yeah, yeah, if I choke, therefore I am. Yeah, I mean, yeah. well, Descartes' point, right, the coach to I think, therefore I am, is that if you started from a position of complete skepticism, what is indubitable? What is self-evident? And he right. thought there's only one self-evident thing he could think of, that I'm a thinking substance. Like, not even a body. He could, you, I could be a gaseous substance in the right. matrix. There, like, there's a lot, but I can't deny that I'm a thinking subject. That there's something thinking something. Right. You even know, if I'm the only thinking subject in the universe. Right. You know, Augustine anticipated that... Uh, thousand years earlier almost i didn't know that yeah uh, but it, and again this is uh kind of a, a paraphrase but basically augustine would have said because i forget therefore i am i mean the idea that i have the phenomena of forgetting oh okay yeah, yeah. so it's kind con yeah consciousness-based kind of argument yeah yeah so know. i think the it's a very interesting argument it is and it's yeah. one that still at least for you and me kind of makes the rounds and, and all those choking philosophers exactly yeah but you know his his response was just, I, I mean, really, really strange. Like you said, well, just 
you know, uh, try an experiment, an experiment, drop a hammer on your foot and then think, is that real? I mean, it's pretty kind of, it's, and I'm just thinking, well, there's lots of experiments that we're, we can stimulate feelings through neuro, through like electrons that aren't happening. Like, right. Well, you, even, even that example. Okay. If I, I mean, I don't have a hammer here, but if I dropped a hammer on your foot, I would ask you, where does it hurt? And you would say your foot. Yeah. But the, actually, the pain is in your brain. Yeah. yeah. So there, that's maybe a classic example of what he's saying you, is, is, not, is not right. Yeah. And you think about, like, you know, I mean, this is a classic age-old argument. Like, can we trust our senses? And when I would, when I would teach Plato undergrads, I'd ask them, like, okay, think about a triangle. You know what a triangle is. Like, three angles, three, you know, lines, angles, you know, adding up to, um, uh, what is it? Uh, 180 degrees? Right. Right. So, now I open their eyes. No, you've never seen a triangle. What do you mean? Well, you've never seen a perfect triangle. All lines, if we, if we went close enough with a microscope, there'd be smudges and the lines aren't perfect. So basically what you've seen are approximations. Or think of a line, right? A line is an infinite thing, you know, that goes right. straight. And it, but you've never seen a real line. We, you've seen approximations and segmented things. But, so, like, we have all these things that, that Plato would say that, we have conceptualizations of that really we've never seen. So can we trust our senses? Well, but I, I was a lineman for the county. I love that song. That's a great song. Did you, wait, Johnny Cash did a, did a cover of that, right? Who sang it originally? Glenn Campbell. Yeah, I, and, I love that song. And it's a great Jimmy Webb song. He was a great songwriter. I like that. So, yeah, I think that, like, these kinds of arguments are not, you know, and you could, you could argue or you could point out that, like, you know, in the School of Athens... The painting, you know, in the in the center is Plato and Aristotle, right. and Plato is pointing up, and Aristotle is pointing outwards. So there's the class. I mean, right? You know, Aristotle, Aristotle thought that if an argument goes against the doxa or how it seems, mm-hmm. it's probably wrong. Like he thought he was a person that put much more stock in our senses, right? And Plato didn't. But that's a real argument. I mean, these are two right. great well, thinkers, another, and it's it's you know, it's do you begin deductively or inductively? I always said there's only. There's really only two two quite there's only two positions and everything one way or the other gets down to Plato or Aristotle. Exactly. Politically yeah. too. Yep, I agree. You know, um and part of it is the whole pop culture and you know, again, um I'm not big on conspiracy conspiracy theories, but there there has been a tendency for popular media to not always be intellectually fair, you know, particularly you know around Easter time or Christmas. The kind of things that get presented as fact, you know, from biblical scholarship, particularly, you know, you get something on NPR. There's a war on Christmas. Well, you know, the interesting thing if about Donald Trump is elected, we're going to hear Merry Christmas in Macy's. That's great. We'll make we'll make every synagogue sing "O Little Town of Bethlehem." He says even his Jewish and Muslim friends they want Merry Christmas. Yeah, very good. All three of his Muslim friends, exactly. But um, but I think, for instance, there's a lot of popular presentation of science or, or even, let's say, Joseph Campbell. Everybody loved that years ago, that Joseph Campbell series. And I found it interesting. Joseph Campbell was not respected by his peers. He, I mean, you know, from people, and again, I'm not, uh, a, I guess he's a cultural anthropologist is what he was. But that whole stuff on myth that had a really profound impact. Uh, I mean, it was as much Jungian as it was anthropo- anthropology. And, and, you know, he was not... I mean, he was a C-rate scholar in his own field, but, you know, Bill Moyers, you know, kind of had a great vehicle, and it was a very entertaining series that a lot of people just absolutely treated, well, this is exactly, you know, Christianity, 
the idea of the crucified God is totally borrowed from other cultures. And it was that kind of reductionism that um, a lot of people bought into. I still hear stuff saying, well, really, this is where it came from. And I'm hearing Joseph Campbell through someone else's uh, mouth. Do they use the voice of Joseph Campbell? Or they no, just, no, no. I, but I, I, get, I found the series really entertaining. I Years ago, I did a whole uh, kind of adult education series on it where, you know, like 80 people came to kind of we'd, we'd look at a clip of Joseph Campbell and then I'd say, well, here's here's what the scholarship really says about that. Yeah. So at any rate, that's but I think whether you're dealing like Carl Sagan is another example, really great scientist, but a lousy metaf metaphysical or philosophical guy. A lot of what he presented in those programs that were very influential we're just intellectually dishonest, like uh, the same way that Bill Nye is. Yeah, it's funny, too, because she points out that just this nice confidence that what we sense and feel is authentic is particularly strange coming from a scientist, given that several advanced scientific discoveries do, in fact, contradict information we receive right. from our senses. <laughs> Einstein discovered that there's no such thing as absolute simultaneity, for example. Why quantum physics shows that an object can be in two places at the same time. Several philosophers have long argued that our senses are not a reliable means of evaluating reality. And such scientific discoveries support the idea that we should treat sensory information with a little skepticism. For instance, this table that we're that, re, that on which the computer equipment and recording equipment rests is move is made up of moving objects. It's not solid. Yeah, it's yeah. so like, but so the way we perceive reality is actually different than how we would kind of constitutionally well, yeah, break it down. Or at least, or at least, our perception is a is a kind of contingency. I mean, there's a, there is a reality to our perception, but it's not all the reality that there is. You know, was it was a David Hume, the idea that kind of, uh, you know, if you argued against this, if you stick a pole in the water, it looks like the pole has bent. Wasn't that David Hume? I thought Plato, Plato argued that. Was that but... Plato before Hume? Yeah, Hume, I remember reading it in Hume, but uh, yeah. So the, so the questioning of our, of our sensor, senses is something that's, that's important. You know, and again, there is this whole kind of scientism that really is an ideology and it's really interesting how sometimes good scientists, and Bill Nye's a classic example, will switch back and forth between they'll say something that, you know, is fairly non-disputable scientifically, but then they'll slide over into scientism, and they're really preaching at that point. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, Neil deGrasse Tyson does a lot oh, of this. Yes. Oh, yes. I mean, I, it's, I just it's, can't. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. It's I, incredibly reductive. I mean, it gets in the way to me of some interesting stuff that I would like to listen to. I mean, I love... I really am interested in all kinds of scientific discovery on, on a wide range. I'm not a specialist, so I really look forward to good teachers of that. But I, 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 I end up turning them off because I just all that stuff gets in the way for me. Yeah, no, it does for me too. I mean, I, I think it's uh, it, it, it's, it, you know, one of the things that's interesting. I remember reading uh, a couple of years ago. It's one of my favorite essays that Benedict the Sixteenth, uh, Pope Emeritus, back when he was. Joey Rotzinger wrote, uh, I don't know anybody ever called him Joey, but that's my own sort of moniker for him. But he wrote this piece about world religions. And because, you know, you have some people in, in religious studies, there used to be a trend to sort of kind of bring all the religions together into one genus and see, you know, there's all these trends. And okay, kind of ready for the word? Yeah. Latitudinal Arianism. Yeah, all things all things are equal. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. I like that. I never I never heard that term. I like that. 
I don't think I'm, I, I, I think that's a real term. I just did not make that up. So basically he said, you know, some people used to argue, okay, I'll think, you know, these, you can see all religions basically have similar ends and, right. Right. and other scholars say, no, they're completely different and you can't bring them into some kind of comparative analysis does violence to each tradition. You have to evaluate it on its own terms. And he, he tries to have a mediating position. He says, look, people start with pretty anthropomorphic, you know, primitive religion. You sure. Know, we're, 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 you know, the Norse gods look like guys in cold weather with beards. And the Greek gods look like Mediterranean, you know. And, the, and, right, sure. and then he thinks when humanity comes of age, one of three demythologizing moves happen. You either go with mystical identity, which mm-hmm. you see in... Buddhism or Hinduism, there's a kind of sense that really all reality is one, and the real these sort of more anthropological deities get replaced by a sort of reflective mysticism. And 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 all the major monotheistic religions, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Muslim and Islam have that trend, and there's that yeah. trend, have that have that have movements within. There's them. always been, yeah, there's a strength. So yeah. Then he says the other thing he, th- he thinks is enlightenment, and by this he means uh, anthropological enlightenment, like trust in human reason, a critical skepticism, which he sees in the modern period and in the pre-Socratics. So the pre-Socratics didn't go to uh, new deities. They went to metaphysics and trying right. to understand it. So, and he says the third thing he thinks is prophetic revolu- uh, revolution, where a new deity is, it comes and displaces the anthropological uh, you know, tribal deities, uh, a revelation comes from a prophetic figure. And he see, sees Judea, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam as in this stream, where there's and, a revelation, but it's one in which the monotheistic deity is often very different than our anthropological suspicions and creations. And Marxism, you know, kind of does that in a non-religious way, in a very material way. But it, it's kind of, it's interesting, you know, it's... Um, it's not without reason that, you know, Marx, you know, came out of a Christian theological right. background, and many Jews embraced Marxism in, at the beginning. So, because there was something resonant with them, it was a new, it was a secular prophetic revolution. Yeah, and it had a sort of view of the end of history, like Judaism. Yeah, it was very, yeah. But, yeah. yeah. I think Ratzinger put it in type two, but, it, but a type two that would borrow from the prophetic. It's not possible without... Judeo-Christian right, understanding of no, time. No, I, yeah. I agree. Yeah. So it's fun, it's it's interesting because I think that uh, these kind of reductive scientists are like a devolution of right. type two and like it's not real critical enlightenment. It's kind of a uh, sophomoric sometimes. Yeah, and I, and I think a literally sophomoric. I mean, it's the kind of person. It's the kind of you know. I was a psychology major, but with like three or four minors, and. Uh, and it was always like that, you know, psych 101. Everybody suddenly had insight into themselves and became very dangerous. Or there's nothing more dangerous than a person who's gone to one or two counseling sessions and suddenly know a little bit about themselves and therefore are going to change all of the people around them. <laughs> Lindy, my wife is a nurse practitioner, and she said that that's, there's the hypochondriac phase in your education where you think you have every malady that you learn. <laughs> That's right. Get over so, that. Does that mean you and I have become ever heresy? We've we've studied exactly. Yeah, I, maybe possible. No, it's, I don't think so. It's quite possible. No, no, but I, I get that. You know, um, and again, and scientism has its own mythology. I mean, um, there's a great book 
and I, I just lost the name of it, but I'll get it to you so we can put it in the notes. But uh, why? Yeah, what was really going on with the Galileo controversy? Yeah, yeah. Why was Galileo wrong? I think I don't. That's not quite right. But uh, a, a really careful history, you know, history of, of science person. It was it was fascinating, and what people often because you know that's the myth of Gal and mm-hmm. Galileo is that most of the cardinals that condemned him were all Copernican. They they did not think that the Earth was the center of the universe. What Galileo was chiefly criticized for was that he said everything could be known mathematically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so there's a sense where he didn't, op- offer, he didn't open the opportunity for there to be other kinds of knowledge and truth. And I think, you know, um, I think sci- the scientism does the same thing. I had a friend, we coached soccer together, brilliant guy, and uh, uh, from India. And one time I asked him, he was writing a book, and he, he, I said, well, tell me what you're writing. And um, I, 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 he lost me when he was telling me the title. I mean, he was dealing with equa- mathematical equations for the nature of brain function stuff. Brilliant guy at the University of Pennsylvania. And we would get into this, but we would, you know, we would talk. And I would love to hear about what he was doing and learning from him. And, and one time, but, you know, and he, we had a lot of affection, good friendship, but he, he respected what I did. But one time he says, you know, Darwin is my God. You know, he's saying metaphorically. And he goes, I just don't believe in anything I can't explain scientifically. And he had these beautiful children. And I go, so I guess, you know, when you held your daughter for the first time, that was just a kind of evolutionary survival instinct that it mutated over generations. And so give me a, give me a, I said, give me a mathematical equation for what, what it felt like when you held your daughter. And he looked at me and he got tears in his eyes. And he goes, and he goes, point you. <laughs> yeah, most people can't, li- most reductionistic thinkers can't live existentially. They, they don't function on a day-to-day basis like the reductive ideology they proffer. No, it, it's the same way, like we talked in the previous podcast, that Christians who are anti-modernity or anti-science who... Let's say, for instance, they think the Earth is only 6,000 years old. They are constantly living and benefiting from the most advanced scientific yeah, Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're not, yeah, they're not the Amish. They haven't, <laughs> they haven't stopped with zippers. Well, even they? the Amish aren't the Amish all the time. They, they come up with ways to make those farms more efficient and an excuse for, you know, if you paint it black, I think you could use it. <laughs> you know, it's funny because when they change the rules sometimes, it's like the whole community has to agree on it. So I'd be yeah. like, oh, so one of the... Yeah, we want to include skateboards. Well, if I had five thousand dollars in this hand, I might, I might think that God says we could have. I, I just think it would be an incredibly manipulative system. Wait, I, I had to. I just remind. Gosh, uh, the smartest guy in my high school class, Leon Myers. I just remembered him. Uh, was Church of the Brethren, but the plain, the ones who live close, like the Amish, not fully, quite the Amish, but most brilliant guy, uh, and. He was the first, I think he was the first dairy farmer. I mean, he didn't go to college, which we all, oh my gosh, how, he was brilliant. He was the first dairy farmer in America that computerized his entire dairy operation. And, you know, I mean, it's, so it's just kind of interesting. I don't, I, so I guess computers were allowed. And uh, Absolutely. It's a, it's a very fluid, uh, it's a very fluid anti-cultural. Leon, if you're out there listening, God bless you. It's an interesting thing, too, that I think a lot of, theologians who are interested in history, philosophy, and science would argue that 
at least part of the development of experimental science in the, as, it, as it comes in the West is because of the Jewish Christian tradition of creator-creature distinction, the idea that, that the universe isn't governed by sprites or, right. or fairies or demons, that it's actually repeatable phenomena. That, that in other parts of the world... Now, I'm not saying that other parts of the world don't advance in technology. Yes. But there's zero between technology and science because you could, you could get technically proficient without doing experimental science. And, and experimental science is something that seems at least early on unique to a culture that lived in the shadow of a Judeo-Christian no, influence. Yeah, classic example. I mean, uh, some of the different dynasties in China tech, were technologically extremely advanced. But science, for the most part, was invented in the West. Yeah. Well, you know that there's predictability because there's a kind of, there's a linear nature to time from the Judeo-Christian view. And so therefore, you, it, it, you, it's okay to waste your time or not waste your time. It ma- you can spend your time trying to find out what's going to happen next because things are moving in a linear way and therefore things might potentially be predictable. Yeah, and that God designs things in ways that are that are rational and you can repeat yeah i think that that's an important thing so and bill it, nye maybe we could send him one of those books from colin gunterners we should and he probably would not read it because he doesn't value that kind of knowledge which makes him it it it, it makes him less attractive and less of an intellectual figure maybe we should make a youtube video and send it to him that would be fun yeah all right We'll work on that project. We'll have to get our... In the meantime, we'll say our prayers for him and for all the reductionists. And, yeah. Yeah. Tuesday night.
return